Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightman, and I'm here with my co-host, Zion. Uh, when I said Zion, I wasn't talking about the biblical concept of the uh, mount or the name for heaven. Uh, I was actually talking about the uh, mythological city in the Matrix movies, Zion. So uh, we are here today with our uh, guest. His name is Pastor Jasper Selnow, and uh, he and I were classmates in uh, high school, and uh, now he is a pastor uh, here in Wisconsin uh, at Adams Friendship and Mauston. Correct. Uh, so welcome, Pastor Selma. Thanks for having me. And it's good to see that your humor has not changed since high school. You are still as dry and delightful as ever. Still obsessed with the Matrix. And, and Jeremy is starting to grow his penitential beard for, for the end times, I guess. Very good. So... So Jasper, tell us about your ministry in Boston and Adam's friendship uh, with your multi-site there. Sure. I've, I've been serving here for almost five years. My, uh, my congregation in Adam's friendship is the one I, I kind of mainly serve. It's, it's the mission church, so to speak. Um, when I got here in 2018, in January of 18, it was a unsubsidized Wells Home mission. So the church in Boston started it as a mission. They, they wanted synod support, but they weren't going to get it just based on, I think, a whole host of factors. Um, but they decided to kind of do it on their own. And they had help, I think, along the way, at least financially from other congregations, you know, in the area or in the synod. But um, over the years, they just did Bible study and eventually got a core group they called a pastor a full-time pastor to serve them, Brian Schmidt, uh, who was a SEM classmate. And then uh, after he left, I got here and um, I've been serving mainly the first couple of years was getting to know people, obviously, but also working on a building project uh, that they had kind of started, but had some missteps, I think, or stutter steps um, as they were getting going. So we kind of um, regrouped and, and worked on that. Uh, built during the COVID year, during 2020, and we've been in a new building for about two years now. Um, so the, the ministry in Adams Friendship, um, Adams is one city, Friendship is another, but we just kind of mash them together. Uh, the ministry here is, is interesting because it's, it's a, kind of an island in the middle of Wisconsin. There's, a, there's not a lot of cities in Adams County. This is the biggest area and it's not very big at all you know there's only maybe a couple thousand people in the in your area but uh, you're drawing on kind of the whole county people come from all over we're the only wells church in this county and uh, the demographics are interesting 80 percent nearly 80 percent is, is unchurched um, so there's a lot of people to reach um, even though it's a low population area and there's kind of a, an interesting mix of retired people and people who live here kind of lifers that are maybe more blue collar. Um, there is some poverty in the area. It's, it's not a, I think, I think, again, demographically, it's a poorer area in the state. Um, but you kind of see a mix of all that. And just, it's been an interesting congregation because you end up with kind of lifelong Wellsers retiring up here and joining the church. And you also have people brand new to the faith um, as adult converts. And so it's, you know, a, an interesting blend of, of those two things. Um, a lot so, of, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun, very different than my first call uh, in, in many ways. Yeah, I know exactly where Boston is because I get stuck in traffic on I-94 there all the time. And, you know, it's interesting talking about multi-site with you, Jasper, because... Uh, this week is the second anniversary of Water of Life becoming a merged multi-site congregation uh, that we did that in November. Uh, I, we celebrated Reformation, November of 2020. And 
we do it a little bit differently. So I'm kind of curious how you guys do it there. Cause it sounds like you're the campus pastor at Adam's friendship. Whereas here with our water of life, Racine campus and Caledonia campus, I go back and forth so that I'm the, I'm preaching and teaching one Sunday in Racine and then the next one in Caledonia. Cause what we did is we felt like, uh, because these were two congregations that had been separate for uh, for the existence of their congregation history, that if one guy would have been the campus pastor, then it would have felt like we were just playing at being, you know, one yeah. church on two sites. So that's why we made it a conscious effort that the two pastors and Lord willing will have two, although. This week, we got the good news that Mark Wagner, who recently retired from our saviors in Grafton, uh, accepted our vacancy call for six months while we're still trying to call for a, uh, a full-time second in-reach pastor. But that's one of the reasons that why we went with uh, a different model than what you're doing. So why did you guys, I know you came in as a new guy, but what was your mindset of having a campus pastor for the multi-site? I think for for Adam's friendship in Boston, there's a few reasons. Um, I, I'm not sure how close your two campuses are. Ours are about 40 minutes apart, um, which I know different multi-sites, again, every multi-site's different, but a lot of times there, there's maybe a little bit closer distance there. It does make it a challenge at times to do things together. Um, I think part of the, the nature of it too was not only the, the distance, but this was started as a, a mission, and there was maybe a, a question when it started, are we going to daughter this congregation? Will they go off on their own at some point? Um, will we remain together permanently in a multi-site format? Um, I know when I got here, and I guess still technically, we, we do have on our books kind of every five years, we reevaluate that. Um, where we say, is it, is it wise to stay together? Would there be good reason to um, separate and do ministry um, on our own? I know from like just a purely resource perspective, the congregation in Adam's Friendship really couldn't stand on its own just yet. Um, but, you know, th those are kind of the, the two things, you know, they, they started that way. I think the other thought was philosophically, I think there are some challenges when you don't have a, a, a campus pastor necessarily, someone who is, is gonna be the, the person. So if you have people who only come to a certain campus, for example, um, and they only see their pastor every other week or every three weeks, you know, we have three pastors. Um, that could be a little challenging, both for the people and the pastor. You know, there's not that continuity um, the pastor maybe misses the, the visitor or misses the people he's been trying to work with during the week. So we've tried to, I do preach down in Austin, we'll preach up here, but we've tried to limit that some where it's not every other week, uh, but maybe once a month. Um, and that way, the same guy who's in their homes and visiting their hospitals uh, is the one that they're going to see on Sundays. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if that's the, the answer or not. I think when we've been forced to do different things, like we had a vacancy for a year and a half in Austin and we were down a guy there. So we were doing a lot more every other week. Our, our people, especially at the mission church started, I don't want to say grumbling, but I think there was, there was a sense of, you know, where'd you go? You know, we don't, we don't see you. Um, and yeah, they could come and see me during the week, but they don't always, um, Sundays is when you see your people. So we, we've been wrestling with what's the best way to do that. Um, for us with the distance, it's hard to do a ton of things together all the time. Um, we do share leadership. Um, we, we you know share a budget and we share kind of an overall mission, which is to share God's word in our, in our respective communities. But um, yeah, there's some challenges to, if, if we would just rotate every week we would either have to, to really view the, the multi-site kind of like my last church. I was at a church of 1800 members and I didn't preach every week, but I think the difference was I was there every week 
and saw the people um, here, you'd almost have to maybe change the service times so that you're still seeing your pastors regularly. Um, I don't know. We have we have over a thousand members between the two campuses, or just about. And anytime you get that many people, I think it's it's hard for one pastor to to visit all those folks, you know, and to have a close relationship with them all. So breaking them into smaller groups is is going to naturally need to happen in some fashion. Um, this is the way that we've kind of gone with it so far. So yeah, I don't know. So what do you like to do with your free time? Um, Besides go on podcasts with you, Jeremy. Well, I think um, free time is an interesting thing. I was talking to a fellow pastor friend of mine about that this week. I used to do, I used to try and find free time to do things like, uh, I like to paint when I have time to. I don't, I haven't done that in quite a while though. Um, I like to read, which I don't always have time to do that quietly. I listen to a lot of audio books and in the car a lot. Um, but I, my time is mostly occupied with children and driving them to school or driving to Luther Prep, where our oldest just started. Um, so that's a lot of our time. We have, we have five children that are uh, between seven and 15. So that's a lot of fun. But that's kind of where the time is at the moment. I remember that one time we saw each other. Uh, I don't know if we were even expecting to, but it was at the uh, Wells Worship Conference at Carthage and yeah. Kenosha, and you, you mentioned that because we both went to the same uh, breakout group having to do with artwork in church, and right. I never knew that about you, that you were, you're kind of a hobby painter. Well, you know, I wasn't until probably a few years into my ministry, and I don't know, I, I think I was just looking for a different hobby, and I'd always liked, I was never artistic, I, I'm still not, I'm terrible, but um, tried to pick up oil painting and do some things with that. Um, if I if I had more time, I'd probably spend more time on it, but someday. So do you have um, like any stories uh, from either your ministry at, App uh, your other place of service was in Appleton, Wisconsin? Correct. Uh, so either from Appleton or from uh, your current ministry that uh, our listeners might be interested to hear that you're at liberty to share, whatever, whatever is, uh, you know, something funny or fascinating. Or, or a story about Jeremy. Um, I will refrain from telling stories about Jeremy. I fear that he will tell stories about me. Um, no, I, I have fond memories of, of, of time in high school with Jeremy. I think we were on the same floor our senior year. That was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. He told me once uh, that I had to be his alarm clock. I had to come in and, and wake him up. And he said, now I just want you to know that morning Jasper will be a different person than nighttime Jasper, and you, you you still need to tell morning Jasper to get up. I could use I could use you as an alarm clock. My wife, I think, still would appreciate that. I still uh, that has never been a, a gift of mine, and now I'm starting to see it at least in, in one of my children. I have a daughter who I think would just as soon stay in bed all day as get up, and I struggle with chastising her because that is that is me. Um, you know where she inherited it. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's always it's always tricky when you're asked about stories from your ministries. Um, I can think of lots of lots of really cool things. You know, um, as you got to to counsel people through some pretty rough stuff and see God's hand of blessing. Um, I I guess just you know from from a, a culture perspective, it was interesting going from. Mount Olive and Appleton, which Appleton was a much more white collar community and probably a more affluent, you know, community and congregation, um, and much larger, to a very blue collar kind of backwoods uh, community in Adam's Friendship, which I love. I, I, I and I love Mount Olive too, but just very different. Um, you know, I remember when I got here, <clears throat> my one of my associates at the time, who's since taken a call and left us, uh, Joe Fricky, and he said, don't, don't be shocked when you're visiting people and they're offering you weed and wanting to talk about aliens. And I thought, well, sure, that could happen anywhere, but that's never going to happen. It does. It happens a lot. Um, I had a conversation about aliens last week for quite a while with um, a gentleman. And 
you know, to try to have those conversations with a straight face or not just want to get out of them is an interesting thing to do, but to try to <laughs> turn the message, return the conversation to Jesus or to church or to spiritual matters. Um, yeah, there's people, it's amazing when you have 80% unchurched in the community, the voids or, or you know, the things that people use to fill the void of spirituality uh, or God. Um, and, you know, you have the, the obvious things, the, the sinful vices of, you know, sex and abuse and drug use, but you also have some interesting things like aliens. So, Oh, man, I, I got to come visit you, Jasper. I, I talk all day about aliens and Bigfoot and so forth with the people in Adam's Friendship in Boston. You would have you would have a, a large audience for that. So, and you can't. Uh, I don't know. I, I. It's not the it's not the are aliens real question. It's, they are absolutely real. Here's what they've done to me, and I need to. We need to talk about this now because you're a pastor. So. Yeah. So as long as you bring that up, uh, I, I've heard a theory, and I've, I've often shared it since I've heard it, which is that. Um, things that experiences that people have had with aliens there there's a, a good argument to be made that it's quite possibly demons that are masquerading as extraterrestrials and because the things that they end up describing are usually what a de, what a demon want to do they want to degrade the human race and usually it's always something you know kind of embarrassing or, or humiliating uh, a way of you know examining the human or whatever that is uh yeah have you heard anything like that yeah i mean a lot of this it either it strikes me that they're remembering things from their childhood that they're either trying to cope with or yeah it's there there, there are other influences here i mean we know as as christian what god's word says um you know there's there there are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that would be more than happy to masquerade as angels of light or little green men or anything in between, um, whatever they got to do to to turn us away from seeking the truth of God's word. Um, but yeah, it's 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 fascinating, um, you know, to to have those kinds of conversations. But sometimes it's a little you do want to just get back to sin and grace and law and gospel, and so sometimes it's just a exercise in patience more than anything. Um, but that's everywhere. When I was in Appleton, it felt like the patience part there was just waiting for people to take off their masks and let you know who they really were. Um, that took a while, I think, sometimes. And, and that was before COVID. That was You're not talking <laughs> about literal masks. I'm not talking about literal masks, correct. I'm talking about, you know, the, the they put on a front, right? Um, yeah. Here, there's not so much of that. There's, there's always some, I think, with people. But here, a lot of it's just everything's hanging out on your sleeve because... Everyone knows everybody's business in the community. Everyone, by and large, has some pretty clear and real struggles, and they just talk about it. And that's good in a way because you can address it, but it's also messy and sometimes bizarre. But it's been a lot of fun. We've had we've had kind of a constant string of Bible information classes going since I got here, and a lot of new members joining the church by God's grace. Um, but I think there's just there's a thirst in this area for or something, and there's not a lot of churches offering anything. So this is a, a pretty cool place to be right now. Well, you know, what you were talking about, Jeremy, with the, the aliens and so forth, but if you look at movies too, it, Hollywood goes through cycles of what the, how the aliens are pictured. So you got like ET where they're your friends. And so then you can look at how, Hollywood is using them as, you know, they're the savior as opposed to Jesus being the savior or uh, some older movies like war of the worlds or the day the earth stood still. Well, then they're looking at the aliens coming and wiping out everything. It's kind of like a judgment day type thing. But again, that's their way of picturing the end of the world absent of Jesus. So whether it's demons or aliens, or Hollywood, and so forth. It's all just uh, like you guys were saying. It's all a way of the devil taking people's view, or their eyes off of the prize of Christ as Savior. Yeah, I don't know if I've found any perfect ways to deal with some of the the really out there things that you hear, but I guess I always try to. I don't. 
I've, I've tried less and less to unpack and fix all the, the crazy, so to speak, and more just sidestep it and, and go back to Jesus. Um, you know, I, I don't know about all of that, but here's what I do know. You know, yeah. See, uh, see, that's why you're there, Jasper, because I would, I would really entertain the crazy. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll have to have you come and, and hang out sometime. That'd be fun. That I know sounds some, good. I know some good. I know some good trailers and garages that we can go hang out in, and we get to have those conversations. There you go, Jeremy. You want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure. Gospel this week comes from Luke chapter six. Jesus lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you whenever people hate you and whenever they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. The fact is, their fathers constantly did the same things to the prophets. So, when Jesus is talking here in Luke chapter 6, it's obviously reminiscent of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5. But there, uh, he specifically is talking about spiritual poverty and so forth. So I, when I ask these, the questions to you guys about this, I'm taking it based on Luke's words that it seems that uh, maybe Jesus is referencing spiritual things, but I took it more as physical things. So, so Jasper, uh, contrast the way the world thinks about poverty, hunger, weeping, persecution versus the way we as Christians think about those kind of things. Yeah, that's, I, I think, a, a, a really interesting question to consider. Um, you know, when the world looks at the things of this life, and it, it wants to talk about people who really are well off or secure or happy, it's usually from the perspective of their poverty is being addressed, their hunger is being addressed, um, their sorrow is being taken care of, uh, people like them. Um, they accept you. And Jesus just flips that all on its head and says, actually, you know, when you're, when you're connected to the kingdom of God, um, you're blessed, even if you're poor, even if you're hungry or thirsty or hated. Um, you know, this, this concept of, you know, this existence that we're in now being the be all end all is one we constantly have to fight against as, as Christians. Um, you know, as, as I was thinking about this text and thinking about this, this coming weekend with, you know, an emphasis on eternity and um, the saints in heaven and the resurrection, you know, there really is this desire by Jesus for us to see beyond this life and remember that this isn't the real life. You know, this is a waiting room. Um, we should not get that bent out of shape if the waiting room doesn't have the greatest magazines or water fountains. Like, who cares? <laughs> You know, we, 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 have, we have eternity coming, um, a perfect eternity. And I know some of the other lessons kind of touch on that. But Jesus says it so simply, you're, great is your reward in heaven. Um, so, yeah, when we get hung up on the things of this life as if that's all that mattered, that's a problem. And I, I don't know, I serve, a, I serve a, a community and a congregation, especially that there are a lot of people who struggle with physical um impoverishment you know we have we currently have some homeless people who are members of our congregation um, that are struggling to find housing um, there are people who really struggle to you know keep a job um, people who struggle with abuse in their homes and it's hard sometimes because as christians to just say to those people well don't worry, rejoice and be glad. It will be better in heaven. That, it, it brings hollow, I think, for people sometimes. So I, it's not just that we tell them it'll all be better someday, but I think it's to, to try to remind people that you actually are blessed right now in a very different way, but it's just as real and tangible 
um, the Christian the Christian life. Uh, when you when you think about the blessings that you have from God and the promises that He makes to sustain you in this life and use those challenges of this life um, for your good, and and yeah, there is a greater day coming. There is a, a, a rich reward that Christ has won for us waiting in heaven. Um, fix your eyes on on that, and then you will not feel like life has done you wrong or that God doesn't care about you. It sure can feel like that, you know. Yeah, and, and I think I would add, too, that as Christians, we realize there are times when Christ calls us to be hungry. And that's okay, because God will feed us. There's times when we're, we're going to be poor, we're going to be rich. But Scripture says that's neither, neither one is God-pleasing. And Scripture does say we are content whether we have a lot or a little. And when it comes to mourning, it's okay for us to mourn. Uh, I was calling our members this week or today to remind them that this Sunday we're going to be celebrating All Saints Day. And the practice that we have in our congregation is that uh, this Sunday, then we'll thank God for those saints from our congregation that he's called home to have in the past year. And I want them here to be to be here, to join their voices with the rest of the saints to thank God for their spouse or their child or their parent. Uh, and then, you know, Jesus promised that Christians would be persecuted by the government and others in power. Uh, so, Jeremy, why then? And Jasper kind of touched on this, but maybe you can build on it. Why can Christians rejoice, be blessed in these difficult times of poverty, hunger, mourning, and persecution? Because, for, quite frankly, that sounds ridiculous to the outside world. I heard recently about a young girl who was bullied and uh, you could maybe compare that to some of these things, poverty, hunger, mourning, persecution. Uh, it might not have been persecution for the Christian faith, but it was, it was certainly unpleasant to experience. And uh, she was asking her mother, where was Jesus in all of that? And uh I, I'm not sure what I would have said in, in, in the moment if she asked me that, but after thinking about it for a little while, uh, I think a really good answer is uh, he was right there with you. He was, when uh, uh, Saul was knocked off his horse uh, on the road to Damascus, Jesus said to him, why do you persecute me? So Jesus is there feeling feeling your pain with you. So I I suppose that would be one way that, you could rejoice or, or feel blessed, uh, even if your poverty isn't going away anytime soon, uh, or your hunger or, or persecution. And then, you know, when it comes to persecution, this is something I was working on today, too, that as Christians, we have that strange paradox, don't we, of where Jesus tells us in one place that we turn the other cheek, but then St. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, that uh, we share hardships as soldiers of Christ, you know, and soldiers are ones who fight. And so you have that paradox when it comes to persecution, for example, you know, when do I turn the other cheek? When do I stand up for the gospel? Jasper, what does Jesus mean when he says their fathers constantly did the same things to the prophets? I, I It, it kind of strikes me as uh, Jesus saying to them, you're in good company, you know, this is, uh, this is no different than the way that the faithful of the past were treated. Um, sometimes there's a temptation for, for Christians, and myself included, I think everyone can kind of fall into this, this wrong thinking that if things are going bad in my life, it's because my, there's, there's something wrong in my faith life. Um, I've done something wrong, or God is upset with me. Uh, that's why I'm poor or sick or struggling or not liked or whatever um, but often we we just need to re recall what god says to his people you know whoever's my disciple will carry a cross you know all men will hate you because of me if they don't you maybe need to ask the question why don't they what am i doing to hide christ you know so that, that people are treating me so nicely um we, we you know we'll have i know in the the hebrews reading for for this coming week, you know, it has that list from Hebrews 11 of all these heroes of faith, 
who faced out all kinds of challenges. Um, and some of those challenges were the way they were treated by others. Um, but that shouldn't make you feel like somehow God has given up on you. It should, it should almost more be a badge of honor. Again, not that you're seeking out persecution. Jesus did say, if you're persecuted, go ahead and flee to another town. Um, there are occasions to stand your ground, but there, it's not like you have to be a punching bag. But when you are, um, you don't have to feel like that, that should be a badge of shame. You should remember, no, that's, I'm in good company. And I'm wondering if it isn't sometimes a badge of shame if we aren't persecuted. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, and that you know that's one of the things I've told my people is maybe because we are living in a culture now that is post-Christian, and uh, the government and the world because of the 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 devil and his demons and the principalities and powers, like Saint Paul says, they are starting to come down on Christians even in America and Canada, uh, and maybe we aren't persecuted enough because people. <laughs> don't realize that we are Christians. And yeah. so, I, you know, I'm trying to prepare my people for being persecuted. Uh, one of the news stories I read yesterday was talking about uh, Pastor Tim Stevens, who was just, uh, he was arrested for standing up to tyranny in Canada last year. And then you know, he was just acquitted yesterday after a year of trial and so forth or them sitting on the verdict uh, that the government finally said, no, you were, you were right. We were wrong, but he faced persecution and we're going to be facing persecution as Christians too. Right. Yeah. I saw that. I mean, he's not going to get those days back. He spent in jail. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I do think there is something to that. You know, if, if someone says, well, I've never faced any persecution, I'd say, well, what are you telling your family and friends about your faith? Mm -hmm. Um, what are you doing to demonstrate your faith? Because inevitably, if you live your faith and speak your faith, people are going to hate that. Um, some will anyways, and they're going to push back against it. So if you never have any pushback, um, part of the reason might be you're, you're just you're compartmentalizing your Christianity and only expressing it when you're feeling safe at church. Um, and that's a challenge, but, you know, this is a good encouragement. You know, great is your reward in heaven. Don't be afraid of that. People push back on that. And and with that encouragement, because the Hebrews text is being written to Christians who are being persecuted, certainly revelation that we're going to look at next, St. John, well, Jesus gives it to St. John to give to Christians who are being persecuted. So, Jeremy, you kind of touched on this a little bit of making it personal. How would you, uh, how would you tell maybe a young person or even older person and encourage them that they really are blessed when they're being persecuted. Cause it sure doesn't seem like they're, they're blessed when they're made fun of, when they're bullied, when they're arrested and not bullied by other, you know, like their friends, but bullied for their Christian faith, they're arrested and so forth for their Christian faith. What would you say to someone like that? And then Jasper, you can touch on it too. Probably the, Something similar to what we've been talking about this whole time, which is um, that Jesus is there with you. He's not just a ghost floating uh, next to you. Um, He is there experiencing it with you. He did experience similar things in his own earthly life. And then I think also that last verse that you were talking about with uh, being in the good company of the uh, what the forefathers did to the prophets. what is it that humans want more than anything? It is to know that we are connected uh, with each other and that we are uh, feel, we're, we're feeling the same. We want empathy. We want to be feeling the same thing together. It's a very unpleasant thing to feel loneliness and to feel like you're the only one having this emotion or this experience. And so th- that's you've got the comfort of Christ having this empathy with you and also uh, the the prophets who went before uh, had this empathy, uh, the same experience and, and can know how you feel. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I, I think, you know, another way to look at it too is just labor for Jesus is not a fruitless endeavor, even if it feels that way. Um, 
you know, it, it, from a couple of perspectives, um, Christ promises that the, the gospel that we proclaim, even if we're persecuted, um, will not return to a empty, and that our deeds of faith done for others will encourage our fellow believers and, and perhaps provide opportunities to share the gospel. So there is a practical value to it in the sense that you get to help people who need spiritual help for eternity by the way you live as a Christian. Um, there's also kind of like the, the undercover boss aspect to it as well. I mean, if you ever saw that show Undercover Boss, where you get you know, some CEO flipping burgers and um, you know, no one knows it's him and he gets to kind of see what they're really doing. Uh, Jesus sees everything we're doing. And even if you feel like this is pointless and no one appreciates it and I'm not seeing any fruit, the, the God of the universe is there watching it and delighting in it. And by his grace, he says, I will you know, rejoice in that even in eternity. Um, there's, I think there's plenty of, of encouragement in both the, the practical, this is good for my neighbor and pleases my God. Because um, otherwise it does feel a little bit in vain at times, you know, but you, you gotta you gotta remember kind of those those things. Otherwise you end up like ASAP, right? You're just feeling like we're doing all this for no purpose. Um, you have to remember God's purposes. Yeah, and, and I think I would share with people the same thing I've told my four daughters. So they're aged, 16 to 25, you know, one's in high school, one's in college, one just graduating college and is now adulting in the real world. And one that's in a public school as a teacher's aide. And so there are all different kinds of stages of life. And, you know, I, I would encourage them and I have is remain strong, stand up. And that's when you stand out. Uh, you know, I've recently been talking to my girls that, they're turning into leaders. Some of them already are leaders. And that's because the Lord has allowed them to go through some difficult things already. And for them and for the rest of our people, that scripture says it too, we only learn perseverance by going through the, the stuff that sucks, uh, through the suffering and the struggles. That's the only way we get strong. And I would tell people too, the same thing I told my girls throughout all their ages growing up is just suck it up, buttercup. Um, and then I tell them too, if, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Uh, and then for, for Jeremy, I would, I would make a Star Wars reference to, you know, it's kind of like the Rebel Alliance, you know, against the entire empire. Right, Jeremy? Yep, just like that. <laughs> Just like that. So, because I had, I had to get a Star Wars reference and I've been lacking on those things in these podcasts, Jasper. Well, I can see your background is, is testifying to your Star Wars fandom. That is good. Yeah. We have a very Jasper, I have never learned as much about Star Wars in all my years as since I have become a member of Water of Life. You are my Padawan. So, uh, is there anything else you guys want to bring up on the gospel lesson, or we can go on to the uh, on the first reading from Revelation? Yeah, I had a question. Yeah, uh, about this actually, it was more. I, I heard this applied to the Matthew version of the Beatitudes, but I'll bring it up now because I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on it. Either of you, um, it, I, I've kind of formed an opinion on it, but it, what it, what I heard was somebody explained the Beatitudes as this is a, a roadmap that Jesus has given us to find him uh, because, and I think the idea, if I'm interpreting it in the kindest possible way, the idea is that if you, if you can recognize the people of God, that's, that's where Jesus said he's going to be in the midst of them, wherever two or three are gathered and so these people that gather around him are, uh, th th those are the people he's describing right now. These are the blessed ones or the saints, um, the, those with faith in Jesus, that they're going to be the poor, they're going to be the hungering and, and uh, weeping and so forth, and the insulted ones. Um, 
I, I sort of tipped my hand which way I'm leaning in my estimation of that. But what do you think if, if somebody would say the Beatitudes are a roadmap to find Jesus? Well, I would say it's rather it's the roadmap to find the saints. And if through the saints, then they can talk about Jesus. But I don't think that, uh, you know, being blessed by being poor, being blessed by hung being hungry and so forth is going to point you to Jesus. But it's going to point you to Jesus' people, his saints. And I think that's why this is a gospel lesson for All Saints Sunday is because when you see the people in the world who are dealing with these kinds of things uh, in a saintly manner of being poor and mourning and hungry and being persecuted, uh, then that's pointing out that Christ is in their lives. That's where I would go with it. I don't know what you want to say, Jasper. Yeah, I don't know that I have anything profound to say. Um, I guess I, I'm always leery of, of people saying, you know, just look for this group and that's where you'll find um, Jesus. Because while it's true, you may find people who are physically suffering and impoverished as Christians. Um, you can also find unbelievers that are impoverished and suffering. Um, it doesn't mean that only those who are, have some kind of physical characteristic have monopoly on spiritual truth. But I, like you said, Jeremy, I suppose from a pers certain perspective, you could appreciate this. I, I think what's certainly true, you know, throughout history, you see a lot of Christians who are, um, from a human perspective, struggling, I wonder if part of that reason is just they, they don't, they're not caught up in, I need to, to fix all of my earthly woes. Um, they have their, their mindset on heavenly things. And so I suppose, in a sense, you can say Christianity appeals to people who, who would struggle with the things of this life. But I also think Christianity um, is naturally going to make people not get so caught up in the things of this life. So, I don't know. I don't know if that helps you at all, Jamie. But oh, well, you made me think of uh, the Book of Acts, where who were the among the first believers, uh, or even church history shows that uh, it was the slave class, uh, or or uh, very often the Book of Acts points out women uh, were among the first to become believers in a certain area um, because they they were familiar with bearing a cross, at least in a secular sense. Sure. There were also people that were more well-off, whether it was Cornelius or, you know, the prominent women mm -hmm. of Athens or, or, or Lydia. I know some of these women would have had unique circumstances. But there was, there, there was also wealth and, um, and worldly prestige at times. You know, you think of some of the followers of Jesus. You had women from Herod's household following him. Um, so you, you do kind of run the gamut at times, but but certainly I agree. Um, I mean, even the scriptures say, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians, not many among you were were wise and rich and of noble birth and all of that. Uh, he doesn't say not any, though, right? It's not many. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to to say you will see you will see Christ among such people as are, are mentioned here. You know, those who are the poor of this this earth. Um, but it's not simply because they're poor, that it's not as if poor people have a monopoly on, on Christianity or that God favors them because of their poverty. Um, I think that would be saying too much. But one of the things that popped in my head was an, was an image. And, you know, you were talking before Jasper about being a, a painter is again, as we're focusing on all saints day, the cover of our bulletin for this Sunday has a group of saints and what's around their head is a halo. Now you're not going to actually see people today walking around with a halo, but in art, the way they demonstrated it, I don't know if you've ever noticed this where if they'd have Jesus and saints and the unbelievers that the unbelievers are pictured without a halo. And then the saints are pictured with a halo and then Jesus, the father and the spirit, they're pictured with a nimbus, a halo with three rays in it. But that was their way of demonstrating, hey, these are, you know, this is the way that you can see God's people, that they're, they look a little bit like Jesus with that halo. Well, yeah. in the, in the real world, yeah, it's not that 
yeah, yeah, just because they're poor or hungry, they're Christians. But I, I think, like I was saying before, it's the way that Christians deal with their poverty and hunger that others can notice Jesus. Yeah, he's there with them. Absolutely. And I mean, that fits with the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, even a little later in Luke 6, Jesus talks about, you know, by, your, by their fruit, you'll recognize a person. Um, this is, there are certainly going to be, like you I like the way you put that, it's not their poverty that makes them stand out. It's how they deal with it. Um, Christians deal with the troubles of this life in a unique way. And, and certainly if, if that's what you're looking for, yeah, you'll find Christ there then if you're looking for that unique way that Christians deal with those things. All right, Jeremy. The epistle is from Revelation 21. John the, uh, John the evangelist is writing this and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And from the throne I heard a loud voice that said, Look, God's dwelling is with people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, because the former things have passed away. The one who was seated on the throne said to me, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. So the way I wanted to handle this is maybe just looking at the theme of new in these first six verses and just kind of take it verse by verse. So, uh, Jasper, what's, what's new in what John mentions in verse one there? Well, in verse one, it's it's the new heaven and earth, right? There's a new creation, a new um, actual place, a physical realm that we're going to exist in after the last day. So, what is heaven? Yeah, what is what is heaven? You know, right now when we talk about heaven, we're usually talking about that's where God is is with you know the the souls of the departed saints with the the angelic creatures. We we can't because scripture doesn't, we can't pinpoint a location. You know, we often think of it as beyond the sky, beyond outer space, out there somewhere. Um, but we can't speak of it in terms of location as much as we can in terms of it's in the, heaven is in the presence of God. Um, on the last day, though, heaven will become literally heaven on earth, right? I mean, there's going to be a new heaven and earth, a new creation. At least that's, that's the way that the scriptures seem to speak about it. I know Revelation is full of picture language, but Isaiah and, and Peter both speak about the new heavens and earth. And um, you know, Jesus talks about the, the heavens and earth in their present form passing away. There's, there seems to be every indication that on the last day, if you want to talk about heaven, you're really talking about the new world, the new universe that God will make for his people. Um, right. or, or remake, depending on how you want to parse that. But Yeah, yeah the, the new heavens... You know, there's, I, I think it's talking about the skies, you know, you know, the, oh, I'm the sorry. atmosphere. Yeah. The, well, that's yeah, the atmosphere around us and then, and then space. That's, that's basically what you were saying. It was yeah, and then, a new universe. Just there's a new outer space, a new ground. Yeah. He's talking about, in my mind, this is, yeah, this is like creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Right. And so we're talking a, un, a new universe. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, so we'll see what happens to all the aliens uh, and see what Adam's friendship people think about that. Uh, Jeremy, what about verse two? What is, what is new that John's talking about? Uh, the word is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Um, so think of a gathering place of God's people, his, his holy city, uh, urban type of talk and uh Again, this is just kind of reinforcing what Jasper said about verse one, uh, that the, the last day is not going to be all of us going up to heaven. The way the whole section, this whole 
the language of this whole section is constantly saying, uh, God will be with them. He will be, he will, he will, they will not be with him. He will be with them. And here you see it in the phrasing of the city is coming down out of heaven from God uh, as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, so you can, you can maybe think of all of the uh, believers, uh, the dearly departed believers that, that we miss so much on this earth. Uh, they're, they're the, that's that city. You'll get to see them coming down and they will look wonderful uh, because they are the bride. And, and then we will join them as, as believers. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, speaking here as though I'm assuming that Jesus is going to return before I pass away. But, well, uh, yeah. well, Jeremy, for, for our listeners, he does talk about the new Jerusalem, the holy city. And you said in the introduction, you know, not Zion, you know, for my name, this is Zion. But can you explain to our listeners, since John is talking about the new Jerusalem, why, why Jerusalem and not some other city? What was so significant about the old or previous Jerusalem? It was where God decided to make his special presence uh, known in, in the temple. It was, uh, well, Jesus said, he told people not to swear by Jerusalem uh, because it is, it is the holy city. And uh, it's holy because God chose it to be a, a place where he would uh, dwell with his people, uh, at least when the temple was a thing. All right, so before we go on to the next verse, I'm taking a little poll. You guys can vote on this poll. Which version of Jerusalem the Golden would you prefer? Uh, or do you prefer right now, the Thaxted version or the Ewing version? Jasper. Yeah, I really wrestled with that this week because I, I was torn on which one to use. Um, I ended up going with the Thaxted one. I don't know that I've, I've sung the other one in quite a while. Um, I don't know. They're they're both fine. I guess if, if I had to pick one, I would pick the one I grew up with, <laughs> the one that I remember from when I was younger, which which is not the one I'm using. But um, I don't know. That's more personal preference. The best is when your organist plays the tune for one with the words to the other, and then you run out of words because <laughs> they work out for most of it. But then you get to the end of the last verse and you run out of words yep. and you just kind of sit there. That happened to me once. That was pretty great. Yeah. Jeremy. Uh, my answer is whatever the choice that Paul Patterson would make. Oh, that would be the ex absolutely wrong decision. <laughs> because because uh, Paul and I, that's the reason I ask, is uh, he thinks that we're going to be seeing the Ewing version in heaven, and he's wrong. It's going to be the Thaxted version. Uh, so what I did... Jasper is, we're singing Jerusalem, a golden version uh, for Thaxted this Sunday, and then the, the Ewing version the following Sunday so that everyone can be happy. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think, I think I've, I've gone every other year. I tried to just switch it up. But, yeah. uh, so, Jasper, uh, Jeremy kind of touched on this with verse three, but what is new that... John talks about in that verse. Well, in verse three, the dwelling of God is, is with men um, and he will live with them. I guess what's new there is not so much that God is with his people because he's with his people now. It's, it's that his people get to see it. It's that we, we now live by sight and not only by faith. Um, there's nothing separating us from being in, the, in God's presence. You know, he comes and brings his tent among us, his tabernacle among us. He is, um, it's not removed. Um, it's right in the camp, midst of the camp, you know. And I, so I think new in the sense of, um, you know, we, we will get to see a present reality in its, in its perfect um, eternal glory. Yeah, and I think the way I would I would describe it to people is that, you know, if you've got a loved one, you know, it's away at college or overseas in the military or something, you know, the best you can do is talk to him on the phone or Zoom uh, 
with her or maybe you're texting your spouse or your kids but it's better when they're home for thanksgiving they're home for christmas you're in person and the best that we can do right now with god is we're talking to him in our prayers and our praises he's coming to us present in word and sacrament but what this is talking about is yeah we'll see god face to face jeremy what about verse four what is John talking about that's new there, new and better. Verse four kind of seems like uh, it's more about what's not old. Uh, so what's new is that there's not going to be deterioration. And uh, the former things have passed away. The former things uh, it, it kind of makes brings to mind the whole idea of um, like the new covenant versus the old covenant. Well, the old covenant actually came chronologically after the new covenant. So it's not about a time thing. It's about one of them is durable. One of them is um, always renewed or, or refreshed. And uh, the other one is worn out and uh, decrepit. And that is, um, that's kind of the, the whole idea of this verse, that there's not going to be any bad things. Yeah. And isn't that often the case in scripture when it talks about heaven, that it talks about the opposite? You know, it's what isn't going to be there. And when I had chapel this week for our Wisconsin Lutheran School students, I talked about being home sweet home. I had a sign of home sweet home in that, uh, you know, as nice as they like their homes and you know, their yards and living in the Racine area, I said, eventually, you know, our bodies are going to get sick. They're going to get hurt. Uh, they're going to wear down our bodies or our homes are going to get old and they're going to fall apart just like our bodies will fall apart. They don't know that, but the adults that were there, they, they understand bodies falling apart. And yet all of that is, is reversed. All of that is perfect. All of that's gone in home, sweet home. Jasper, what about verse five? Yeah, there it's just the, the catch all. Everything is going to be new. They're, they're, the existence in heaven, it's not going to be, we're never going to look around and go, oh, it's the same old thing that we always do. Um, every aspect of our existence will be will be new in a better way. And, you know, some of it, it's, it's hard to articulate. You know, you, you talk about the previous verse. How do we describe heaven to people who have no experience with timelessness and perfection and seeing the face of God? Um, how do you explain what everything new means in verse five? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like trying to explain a sunset to a man born blind. How do you do that? I mean, you can kind of tell him, well, it's got these colors that make you feel kind of warm. And it's, you know, it's, um, but what you're, you're grasping at, at straws trying to explain it. The only way they could fully appreciate it is if they could see it. Um, I, in many ways, I think that's heaven. You know, God gives us these glimpses in human terms that we can try to go, oh, well, that, that sounds nice. But until we see it, I mean, what, everything new, you know, that's, I'm looking forward to it, but what it is, I'm going to have to see it, I, I think, to fully understand and appreciate it. Too. Yeah. So with your illustration there, Jasper, so I'm colorblind. You know, my family, my congregation knows that. And so like my wife, Shelly says, all oh, the colors and the trees are, are really awesome this year. I said, well, you can, ex- you can try describing that to me. Uh, I'm sure they are, but you know, how do you describe yellow to someone who, who can't really see yellow versus the difference of orange and so forth? How do you describe the perfection of heaven for us that have no clue what heaven looks like? You know, at least I can see some color, but you know, how do you describe yellow and blue and so forth? Like you said, to someone who's completely blind and has never seen colors. Yeah, I mean, it's just you, you do your best to try to, to have something that, that can resonate with them. But until their eyes are opened by the Lord, they're just never going to fully grasp it. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to heaven for that reason out of many. But yep. just, to, just to have your eyes open to these things that God is hinting at that I just, there's no way I could possibly grasp it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven so I can see what what gold looks like. Uh, Jeremy, with verse six, uh, Jesus, and he said to me, 
So this is Jesus saying to John, it is done. When you hear God say it is done, what comes to mind there? Are you talking about the uh, one of the last words of Jesus on the cross? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you what comes to your mind, not what comes to my mind. Uh, so I, I suppose you could make that connection. It is Jesus said it is finished. Uh, and there's a lot of overlap because it ends up being um, the same idea that the deal is done, that um, even though we may not see this right now, it is as good as, uh, as it is as good as arrived because that's how reliable God's word is. Uh, when he says something, he follows up on it. Yeah, and then Jeremy and I, we walked through the book of Revelation last year in our Thirsty podcast. And in addition to what you were saying about it is finished with it is done, I think also I would add that it is done, everything that's in Revelation, all the scary stuff, you know, the plagues, wrath, demons, the false doctrines, the Babylon, the prostitute, the great dragon of the devil, the beast of the persecuting government, the peace, the, the beast that is the uh, the anti-Christian church and so forth. All of those things are done. So I want to talk a little bit about living water at the end. So do you guys have anything else you want to bring up on this? I know, Jasper, you said that you're going to be preaching on this text. Yeah, I guess just in, in preaching on this, the, the whole, um, that, that word new really does come up a lot. I, that's kind of the direction I want to take my congregation in, is just to think about um, what what eternity will be like after the, re the resurrection, um, how all these things that we enjoy right now and kind of want to hang on to, like this world or our body, um, or the relationship even that we have with God, how in heaven it's just going to be so much better because it'll be new. Um, and to let go of this life, because this is not this is not the existence that God has prepared for us forever. Um, so that's, I guess that's the, the area I'm, I'm hoping to, to lead people down, uh, still trying to work through how best to say out some of those things. Jeremy, you have anything else you want to add with this text? I just wanted to say thank you, Jasper, for um, pointing out to me that I, I never thought of this. A lot of times when I was a kid, I would get terrified of um, boredom in heaven. And I know that I don't know if that sounds strange or relatable to you, but uh, that was a way that the devil really tortured me growing up. And a lot of times my parents would point me to God's word and the book of Revelation in particular. But it wasn't until just now today that you pointed out this verse is basically saying, verse 5, uh, God is promising there's going to be no boredom in heaven. There won't be the same old, same old. I am making everything new. Yeah. And uh, that I, I found that very comforting. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I, I do that. I think whether it's boredom or just uncertainty of what heaven will be, you know, what what's heaven going to be like? What's eternity going to be like? I think there, people have a fear their favorite things won't be there or their least favorite things like sitting in long boring church services will be there. And they, that's not what they want. But what heaven is, a it's not us sitting on clouds you know, playing harps or in an endless church service that we don't want to be in. Um, it's everything new and better. Uh, it's eternal pleasures at God's right hand. Um, if, if they're eternal pleasures, that means it's not going to get boring. You can't. Um, it'll, it, it's not Groundhog Day. It's, you know, each day is better than the last, if, if that were somehow possible. So, yeah, and what, what exactly that's going to be, of course, is the great thing that we get to await and see once our eyes are open. But, I'm looking forward to it too, brother. Well, so I want to finish up with just talking about that last verse about, because uh, this is this is what I'm going to be talking about in my sermon on this. Since our congregation's name is Water of Life, uh, to anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. And for our listeners, the reason that our congregation chose that title, because we had given them uh 
we, we wanted them to have the directions to choose something that was local and had a local significance and then also something that was biblical. And so uh, they chose the top three were the root of life because we have the root river going through the middle of Racine and also the, then uh, yeah, the river of life because again, the root river and then water of life because of all the underground streams, the root river and Lake Michigan. And then what we chose water of life. And then, you know, there's a lot of scriptural references to water, the water of life in scripture, like Jesus uh, at, with the well in Samaria, you know, giving the, the Samaritan woman water that would keep her alive. Uh, Psalm 42, one, as a doe pants for streams of water. So my pa- soul pants for you, O God, Isaiah 49, they will no longer hunger they will not thirst and neither will any scorching wind nor sun will strike them because the one who shows them mercy will lead them. He will guide them beside springs of water. Uh, and then, you know, Jasper, this, so this is the, this is the opening illustration for Sunday. Uh, so a small boy was sent to bed by his father. Five minutes later, dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can you bring a drink of water? No, you had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'll have to spank you. Five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? Yeah. So that's someone who's really thirsty. And so we encourage everyone to come to the water of life at our church, your church, uh, to drink that water of life. So this is Michael Zarling with Jasper Salno and Lightning as air. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>